Welcome to the Fear and Greed Daily Interview. I'm Sean Aylmer. Today, it's all about retailers. A week and a half ago, we saw surprisingly strong spending for May. Month on month, retail turnover rose by almost a percent, up to about $33 billion. But we've also seen a drop in consumer confidence, which normally isn't good for retailers. With inflation building and interest rates climbing, retail shares, particularly discretionary retail shares, have broadly sold off over the past six months or so. So where's the sector going? Now, before we get into this conversation, remember we're not an investing podcast and you should get professional advice before making any investment decisions. Ben Gilbert is the head of Australian research at Jarden. Ben, welcome to Fear and Greed. Thanks very much, Sean. Great to be here. Up front, Ben, retailers have been sold off. Are we kind of getting to the point where investors maybe start thinking about jumping in again? Look, I, I think we're always getting closer. And the, the challenge is, is that we haven't actually seen any real hit to the numbers. If you go out there and you speak to most retailers, and as you mentioned in the intro, the, the retail trade numbers have still been very strong. We still saw around 10% year-on-year growth through May. So the, the, the piece I think now is the million-dollar question is, is when does it start to slow and how material is the slowing? And what I would say is in the last couple of weeks and some of the high-frequency data, we have started to see a bit of a moderation in spending. And I think now as these rate cuts start to hit, that's going to sort of really sort of come home. To your point, though, the market is starting to price some of this in and you've seen some pretty material hits to share prices. And we do think that a few people are going to start dusting dusting off some of these names again and, and looking at them from the buy side. Okay. Now, Ben, I was, I was reading something that you put out in the last week or so, and you were talking about how you think about investing in retail, earnings, market position, secular, and valuations. I want to go through those four and, you know, so you can, so I can understand it, just how you do things. So when, when you're talking about earnings and whether or not to invest, what, what are you looking at? Well, there are a few things we have a look at. So firstly, obviously, earnings and, and cash flow is king. Yep. You, you fundamentally value a business on the cash flow that it's able to generate today uh, and what you think it's going to be able to generate in the future. What we've had a look at to, to sort of what you're referencing is we've gone through and, and had a look at a, a number of names under our coverage from sort of JB Highflight to Harvey Norman to, to West Farmers. In terms of having a look at what is the outlook for earnings? Is it positive? Is it negative? How have they positioned themselves through and post-COVID? in terms of investing in the business to come out a better business. Because as we've looked at historical studies is that companies that invest in tough times typically come out stronger than an ability to take share. And then we've also had a bit of a look at valuation and effectively what the market's pricing in from a risk perspective. And what we've then sort of come out is try to have a bit of a look at a quality score uh, across our coverage. And then we've looked at that uh, against where we see sort of perceived earnings risk and valuation to have a look at where we think the risk reward is starting to look a little bit more attractive from an investment standpoint. So the question is, where is the risk reward starting to look a little more attractive? Yeah, well, that's that's the question that we're trying to answer. I think what, what we've come to on that basis is, is that there's still a lot of earnings risk out there. If you look at the, the report you're referencing, we cut some our forecast pretty materially across a number of the names. So we're cutting forecast 15, 20% for fiscal 23 and fiscal 24. Some of the names, though, that we think are probably starting to look a little bit more interesting on the screen that we've done is the likes of Domino's Pizza, global rollout, benefits from consumers starting to trade down, someone like Flight Centre uh, in terms of people going out travelling again, the fact that the, the market is seeing some pretty big pricing, which is always helpful for margin. Uh, Woolworths in the supermarket space, defensive name and then in the sort of the mid to smaller end of town companies like accent group which own things like athletes foot hype etc i just i just i mean dominoes let's start there its share price has been hammered over the past well since late last year or so is that one where you think well 
people trading down, for example, may be good for dominoes, but also it's just a lot cheaper than it was. It is, and and I think this comes to the whole expectations piece. Is that if you look at what's happened with rates, and we did some work around sort of looking at correlations of three and ten year bond yields, is that the the rising rate environment typically hits high growth companies that have a larger portion of their valuation out in the terminal year, just naturally with with time value of money. And Domino's is one of those names. The multiples higher. There's a lot more value ascribed to outer years, given how significant the rollout expectations are. So if you look at the the hit there, a function of that has been sort of bond rates or bond yields, et cetera, in terms of what's happening there, but also just concerns around how much of a COVID beneficiary were they, are some of their longer-term store rollouts achievable? Will there still be appetite amongst franchisees to take on and roll out new stores? And I think what we're starting to see now is, is that Domino's positioning in market as a value player that is able to deliver a clear and consistent service via delivery, be it in Germany, be it in Australia, Japan, wherever it is, puts them in pretty good stead. I mean, we spent some time with Domino's in Japan recently and just the quality of the network, the quality of the people within that business and the opportunity was was pretty clear. And, and it's one of the reasons that it's one of our, our key picks on the positive side at the moment. Stay with me, Ben. We'll be back in a minute. I'm speaking to Ben Gilbert, Head of Australian Research at Jarden. One of the reasons that I don't ever have a DIY fund myself and provide, you know, give it to managers like you or experts in, is that you need to be active all the time. And I'm coming to Woolworths first Coles here because in that note that you put out, I'm going to get it wrong here, but I think you're overweight Coles and you've come back to neutral because Coles have had a good run, but vis-a-vis Woolworths, you think, okay, maybe it's not time to be overweight Coles because Woolworths has picked up, whatever the story is. But it's, it's all about being active in what you're doing as opposed to buying Domino's or buying Woolworths or Coles or whatever, and then not looking at it again for three years, which many of the DIY investors do. Yeah, look, I think it's, it's an interesting one though, Sean, because people have different time horizons. And, and I think often if you look at people that are willing to sort of look at a quality business in a quality sector that's generating cash and are prepared to look through near-term volatility, often that can be the better outcome if you look forward on a three, five-year view. But as, as we know, sort of when you're sort of sitting here living it day-to-day, there are sort of shorter-term echinations that will come through in the market, be you, you hear out there or you do some work on consumer studies, whatever, that, that Woolworths might be getting a bit of a momentum that online is is really taking off again, which is where, where Woolworths has been stronger. That means that you sort of got to look at those relative calls. And I think when you're looking at, at some people sort of in the market that are managing money, they're obviously going to be much closer doing that day to day and really trying to sort of maximise returns on a, on a daily, monthly, weekly basis. Whereas the DIYs, you've, you've got a bit more of a luxury to look out and sort of ignore some of the, the shorter term volatility. Okay. So if you talk about quality companies, what, what about Woolworths, Coles and Wes Farmers? Yeah, look, as you said, they're, they're quality companies. They're three of the, the key blue chips that would sit in Australia. And the reality is, is that they're, they're going to be their quality businesses and they're going to be quality businesses for a long time to come. They've got dominant market positions. They've got very strong brands. Uh, they've got brands that resonate with the consumer and they're in positions where they collect a lot of data. They understand what's happening and they're in the position to give consumers what they want at a reasonable price, given their scale or, or good value, which is not just price, but service, et cetera. So look, I think they all look like good quality companies on the longer term. In terms of where we're sitting at the moment, we've, we've got overweights on Woolworths and West Farmers. We're sitting with a neutral on Coles, having recently pulled it back, as you said. Why is that? Well, Woolworths, we just think, is is starting to get a bit more momentum again. We also think that their capabilities with respect to data and understanding the customer adopting a true pull versus push model 
things like targeted promotions, saying, okay, Sean, you like buying Tim Tams every week. Let's give you a better promotion just for you because you value that. And that's going to drive loyalty. Similarly, something like West Farmers Bunnings, which is around two-thirds of the valuation of that group, powerhouse brand. I think if you looked at sort of two of the best or one of the best brands in Australia, you'd see a few people that wouldn't put that up there. And they just continue to go to strength to strength. They've got a lot of opportunities to expand into new categories as they've continued to do over the years. And they're now starting to move into areas like marketplaces. So you see they're selling by third parties, things like electronics, et cetera, online. Now, yes, there's going to be some up and downs around the housing outlook, but I do think that if you look back to their numbers back into the 80s, they've proven to be relatively resilient through pretty difficult macro backdrops, and hence why we're still pretty comfortable pushing that one as an overweight. They've also got a bit of a lithium play at the moment as well, Sean, yeah. where they're developing a mine in Western Australia too. But I, I won't claim to be an expert there. <laughs> Moving away from the big players... There are still smaller players which can be quality and there are certainly smaller players which aren't. I want to talk about kind of the, I mean, you mentioned Flight Centre, JB Hi-Fi, I suppose, fits into this, potentially Adairs, I don't know, but sort of some of those smaller retailers and where they fit on the spectrum. Yeah, look, there's some some great mid to smaller cap retailers out there. I think you, you mentioned JB Hi-Fi. If you look at JB Hi-Fi on paper and, and what they've been able to do in Australia over the last 10, 15 years from sort of Richard Utrecht to Terry Smart yep. to, to Richard Murray, now Terry Smart back again, is that they're one of the best, if not the best electronics retailers globally on paper. Yeah. Very productive stores, great positioning around price, dominant market position. The, the reason I think we're probably a little bit more cautious around something like JB's is is that the competitive backdrop, while it's probably been getting a bit easier the last couple of years, we expect it to accelerate again over the next little while. We've written about the fact that we think the likes of Bunnings and the West Farmers Group are going to push more into electronics. Amazon's continuing to ramp up in Australia. Uh, you look at what they're doing with Amazon Flex at the moment. If they were to source another big shed down in, in Victoria, there's a big push there. And electronics is still one of the obvious categories and not a big player in here. So yes, it's a great company. Uh, we just think there's some competitive pressures. Other ones that you talk to, Super Retail Group, that's got guys like Rebel and, and MacPack and BCF, great brands within that portfolio. And we think they're probably going to do a little bit better than most given their data capability. Then you've got other ones like Adairs, et cetera, that you mentioned. Again, good businesses, but they've probably got some more cyclical headwinds coming up and potentially a bit more competition in the space as well. You mentioned data a couple of times. A more important part of investing in the future? Yeah, this is, I, I think this is a really interesting piece of the puzzle at the moment. We've got changes with respect to privacy laws globally around things like the GDPR in, in Europe, which is effectively how you can use first party versus third party data. First party data being if you run a shop and you're collecting it yourself. Third party being if you want to try and buy it from someone else. Now, first party data is, is the gold at yep. the moment. And if you can if you can harness that and bring that into your business and understand how to use it and communicate with consumers in a way that gives them the product that they want at the right time at a good value proposition, it puts you in a in really good stead. The challenge is, as the old sort of adage in the industry is, is is processing that data is a bit like drinking from a fire hydrant. There's just so much of it. Yeah. And you've got to work out how to manage it. And I think what we're seeing is, is that in Australia, we're, we're still behind some of the leaders globally, but there's a few companies locally, I think, that are catching up at pace. And Woolworths is one I'd put in that bucket. And you've seen West Farmers, it's talked about putting $100 million of OPEX into data and their new platform. So it's a big, big focus and it's a big opportunity here. And there's some opportunities or case studies offshore at the moment. So use Tesco, who, while on face value in the UK at the moment, they might not be the cheapest. When you look at their Tesco club card promotions, uh, which they're utilising data to target, 
they are cheaper and they've probably had one of the best share performances of the traditional grocers in that market. And again, through utilising data, and it's a win-win for the consumer and also for the retailer because you don't have wasted promotions. You can drive loyalty, lift lifetime customer value. I remember talking once to the former boss of Australian Pharmaceutical Industries, which is now owned by West Farmers, the big pharmacy chain, and he was just talking about how their loyalty program was one of the best in the country. And he said so much value is in that loyalty program. Yeah, I I agree. I think if you look at the Sister Club program, uh, which is API, I think that's one of the key reasons that West Farmers look to buy that business. I'm I'm thinking of the online place, the Kogan.com's Temple and Webster's, which obviously had a great time during the pandemic, have come off totally since then. But they would be good data plays, some of those companies, or they would have good first party data, wouldn't they? Yeah, they will. And they do. And again, I think the challenge is is how you manage and, and utilize that and get people coming back to the sites and and giving people what they want because you can sort of collect all the data and it can all come into a data lake. But the challenge is, and I sort of joke sometimes, is sometimes these things can turn into data swamps because you've got to actually be able to manage it. But you talk to some of those names and obviously the big beneficiaries, you also have a look back through COVID and where we are now with the retail sales out last week and then a more detailed set this week is we're sort of back to trend for online penetration X food, which I think is fascinating because people are flooding back to stores and telling us they want the experience. And so it's all about giving people what they want and utilising that in the right way to maximise that customer value. Ben, thank you for talking to Fear and Green. No problem at all. Thank you. That was Ben Gouard, Head of Australian Research at Jarden. This is the Fear and Greed Daily Interview. Remember, you should get professional advice before making any investment decisions. Join us every morning for the full episode of Fear and Greed, Australia's most popular business podcast. I'm Sean Aylmer. Enjoy your day.